you know there should be more. And um, you're not the first person to have this problem, right? Okay, there's an Ethiopian who had this problem. He was reading Isaiah once. And uh, he was reading Isaiah 53. He was crushed for... Um, he was crushed by his wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our iniquities. Um, by, by his stripes we are healed. Upon him is the chastisement that brings us peace. And as he's reading the famous passage of Isaiah 53 about Christ, uh, Philip is, is kind of coming up beside him on the chariot. And, and Philip hears him reading the, the passage aloud. And, and he says to him, Hey, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And he responds by saying, no, I really don't. Um, I need someone to help explain it to me. So I I just want to say right now up front, there is no better teacher and explainer of the word of God than the Holy Spirit. He is the author of this book, and there is no one who can tell you better what it means. Okay? Okay. in my own little meager way, I just simply want this morning to pass on to you what I have received. Um, in, in 20 years of, almost 20 years of, of walking with God and studying His Word and, and doing Bible studies, I kind of want to just share some of what I've learned with you guys. That's kind of our, kind of be our message this morning. All right? As I said... Um, we have, click. I'm not clicking, so it's on you. Yep, too far, go back. <laughs> there we go. Just space bar me through. Um, many Christians tell you to read your Bible, right? But how many take the time to actually uh, tell you how to do that? And not just how to do that, but how to do it well. Okay? Um, when I was in college uh, and I, I, I got saved, I started going to all these Bible studies. And we had our own kind of version of, of Christian challenge back then. And they, they taught us how to do different passages and things and how to study God's word. And um, one more time. <laughs> and these techniques are really good. They're, they're really great. I, I love them. Okay? Things like um, observation. What does the text say? Um, interpretation. What does the text mean? Application. Okay, how do I apply it to my life? These are great starters. Sometimes to help people remember, they come up with fun little analogies like soap. These things. And this was great. But there was something still missing. Something just wasn't clicking besides my mouth. Um, and when, when I, I went home for Christmas break one time, and as I was studying through this, I'm like, God, I, I want to read your word. Like, it just, something was still missing for me, and I didn't know what it was. And I had kind of just an epiphany one night as God's spirit was speaking to me. I was reading through um, Genesis. And I was at the part of Joseph where he was having the dreams, right? He saw the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to his star. And then later he, he saw the different things of wheat bowing down to his wheat, right? He, God was speaking to him, 
by using like a, a dream with heavenly analogies and then through earthly analogies. I'm like, well, wait, that's, that's kind of weird. I think I did. I just read that back with Abraham. He's like, yeah, 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 you, you did. Because God told Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Heavenly imagery, earthly imagery. Sun, moon, stars, right? Bowing down. Um, and then the weeds and the sand. And then I felt like God's spirit was asking me, can you think of any other place where this shows up? And I'm like, yeah, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth. Heavenly metaphor, earthly metaphor. And it's like, this light bulb went off in my head. And it finally dawned on me what my Bible study was missing. Um, it was missing the rest of the Bible. You see, because when I would read passages, I would read these passages and I would just isolate the text. I would just focus on that chapter or that verse. I wasn't thinking about the other passages that are there. Like, and that, that's not how Bible study was meant to be done. The Bible has 66 books in it. Why am I ignoring the other 65 um, at their expense. The Bible is this interconnected system. It is a library of books. And if I want to understand one, I should be reading the others because that's how the authors who wrote it in, intended it to be. Um, and I want to give you just four quick things um, to help you kind of, how, how you can do this. I'm going to just go through them really fast here, but I'm going to explain them in more detail as we go along. Number one, pray and listen. This one's fairly straightforward. Number two, use your resources. Number three, look for really strange words. That's important. Uh, I once heard a, 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 a PhD professor say, if it sounds strange, it's important. Okay. And it, that, that is totally true. And the fourth one, look for the big signs. There are four big narrative connections throughout the Bible. My men's Bible study definitely knows one of them for sure. Genesis 3. All right. We'll, we'll get to that one in a second. But uh, first, prayer. Okay. Um, you can bring up both paragraphs. You need, we need to pray before we study the Bible and after we study the Bible. We can't just be talking to God. We also need to be listening to God. God, in his Bible, he has promised to give us wisdom. He has promised to reveal truth to us. All right? In, in John 16, 13, Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will reveal all truth to you. Last I checked... This is truth. Okay? The world might be really confused right now these days about what truth means, but he's not. Okay? This is the word of God. This, it is true. It, it changes our lives. Okay? It is God-breathed. And either this word is everything or it's nothing. 
There, there is no in-between. Absolutely none. Second thing you can do, use your resources. Okay? For some of you uh, folks who enjoy the physical, th there's a lot of resources out there. Okay? You have uh, study Bibles. You have commentaries. You have Strong's Concordance. Th there's a lot of amazing resources out there where, again, not to replace the Holy Spirit, but to act as a secondary help for the whole, with the Holy Spirit. We have 2,000 years of church history. There have been some really, really smart guys who have come before us. And I think it would behoove us to read what they had to say. Okay? Some of those guys sat around literally just doing nothing for 50 years, but thinking and reading about the Bible. They, ha they left a lot of wisdom behind. And it, I think it would, it would benefit us greatly to read their wisdom. Does that mean they got everything right? No. But can we learn something from them? Absolutely we can. Um, for those who are kind of more in maybe the younger generation, um, there are websites. There's great resources out there. Blueletterbible.com, Biblehub.com. These websites are amazing. It's basically just Strong's Concordance, but digital. If you want to look up a word in Greek and how many times it gets used, you can want to look up a word in Hebrew and how many times it gets used. If you want to read some very great commentaries, if you want to um, look at uh, just famous sermons from famous pastors, th this is the way, this, these, these websites are amazing to help with that. Just about every resource that Pastor Jim uses um, that are available to pastors and professors, they're available to you too for free. Uh, you just go to those websites. Um, if, if you're more, uh, you know, in the millennial generation and you just you live on your phone, um, there's the, the U Bible app, U Version Bible app. Kind of does about the same thing. It's pretty awesome. And then if you're just old school, um, technology-wise, things like eSword, things of that nature, okay? And you're probably thinking, well, I have the Holy Spirit. Why do I need these things? Well, because Paul used his resources. Okay. Paul was quite the hurry to leave Troas, and he left a lot of things behind. And so when he's in his letter to Timothy, he says, hey, um, yeah, I forgot my cloak. Um, I left it with, with Carpus um, in Troas. When you go there, can you get it for me? Oh, by the way, I left my scrolls there and my parchments. Make sure you grab those too, please. Okay. Paul isn't worried about blank parchments and blank scrolls. He can go buy a blank piece of paper from any street in a city. He wants those parchments and those scrolls because those have his notes on them. Maybe those are his personal things. Maybe those are things that Jesus said. We don't know. But they were important enough to Paul that he missed them. Paul used his resources. Why aren't we using ours? If the guy who wrote almost half of the New Testament had things written down to help him, why aren't we? The internet is filled with a ton of garbage. Shouldn't we at least use it for something good? To get something good? To redeem the, the darkness of it a bit? So use your resources. Yes and amen. 
Um, the third thing, strange words and phrases. This one is, is really fun. Um, see, the authors of the Bible, they were not careless with their words, guys. They chose everything deliberately, on purpose. It has a point. They, they want to use a unique phrase that maybe used back in Genesis, the most famous example being John 1.1. 1, 1. Okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Then, what is John doing? He's immediately tagging right back to Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John saw the arrival of Christ as a new birth, as a new creation story, as something new, something that was as profound as Genesis 1. And that was the coming of God to earth. And so he uses those three words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. And John is going to grab those words and he's going to start his gospel in the same way to immediately get you thinking about Genesis 1. Okay? Very deliberate. The other thing Bible authors love to do when they put in these sneaky little words like this or these weird words is because they want their readers, that's you and me, and every other Christian who has ever lived or will ever live until the Lord returns to look for them, right? To just give someone something that requires no effort usually goes very unappreciated, okay? When I was a kid, you know, when, I, when someone just bought me a gift for my birthday or Christmas, you know how it is. They play with it for about 10 minutes, it breaks, or they lose interest in it, and they never use it again. But when I had to save and I had to earn something, and then I went out and bought it with my own money, so much more appreciative, right? The Word of God is no different. When you have to dig into the text, when you have to go deeper it is so much rewarding. It has so much more of a blessing to it than something that's just superficial. So, let me give you an example. I want you to think about Mark for a second. Now, the story of the temptation is super short in Mark. I'll show you in a second. Compared to Luke and, and Matthew's version, which is a couple paragraphs. Um, however, Mark is just filled with all kinds of crazy words just connect back to these Old Testament figures. So, you know the story of the temptation, right? Um, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's, he's being tempted by uh, Satan. He's in there for 40 days. He hasn't eaten. Satan shows up to him. and Hey, Jesus, turn these stones into bread, and I'll, I'll butter them up for you. And Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, says, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he takes him up to the temple, and Satan tries to tempt Jesus to, to jump off, and he'll have his angels catch you. And Jesus, again, quoting scripture, rebukes him. He takes him to a high mountain. He says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down and worship me. And again, Jesus, quoting scripture, do only worship the Lord your God only and serve him, rebukes him. And he sends Satan away. However, in Mark's version... It's really short. Um, immediately, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. 
He was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. That's it. Right? About a three-paragraph story gets turned into the three sentences. No mountain, no temple, no bread. We're not even told how the test went. We just have to assume that Jesus passed the test. And yet, Mark is like a well. He may not be very wide with information, but oh my gosh, is he deep. Jesus was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit. Those words drove out into the wilderness. There are only two other people who are driven out by God into the wilderness. Adam, when they were expelled from paradise, and Cain, after he murders his brother. They were driven out into exile. What about the next one? Forty days. Well, even, even if you're not even a Christian, you know 40 days. You've heard you know, Moses or something. You know that's an important number. Even if you're a baby Christian, you know 40 days is one of those things that show up a lot in the Bible. Noah was in his ark as it rained for 40 days, right? Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days getting the law and the Ten Commandments and hearing from God. Elijah went from Mount Carmel down to Mount Sinai on a 40-day journey. The Bible is filled with 40-day events. Tempted by Satan? Well, there's some very famous people in the Old Testament who were tempted by Satan, right? Um, You had Adam. He failed. Job was tempted. Kind of passed, kind of failed. He didn't deny God, but he was pretty mad at God. He did not believe in the goodness of God by the very end. He, he doubted God. Satan had, hadn't completely broke him, but came pretty darn close. David was tempted to do a census. That didn't end well. Um, to have an affair with Bathsheba. That definitely didn't end well. Satan tempted all of these famous characters in the Old Testament. And he was with the wild beasts. Now remember, at this time in history, lions, jackals, hyenas, like the Middle East wilderness, there were predators, okay? There were predators. And yet Jesus is out there for 40 days, and those wild animals, they don't come near him. There are only three other people in the Bible who are with the wild animals and are unharmed by them. Adam, while he was in Eden. Noah, while he was on the ark. And Daniel, when he was in the lion's den. Just those three. That's it. And now Jesus in the wilderness. And then in the last one, and angels minister to him. Well, that's a really weird phrase. Um, This is almost a direct quote from Daniel, which I'm, I'm going to read here in a second. Um, if you can go to the next one. Daniel 7, this is just a direct reference to God. There's only one person who the angels ever minister to. You can go back a second, please. Um, and, and that's God. And that's God. This is what Daniel 7 says. It said, it's one of my favorite passages. I, I love this passage, man. It says, I looked and thrones were placed. 
In the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and his hair on his head was like pure wool. He had thrown, and it was covered with fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire came issuing out from before him. And thousands upon thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand angels stood before him. And the court seat was open, and the books were open. And then a little later on he says, I saw in my night vision, behold, one coming on the clouds of heaven, and he looked like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given a dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. When Marcus says the angels were ministering to him, he wants you to go back to Daniel 7 and think, my goodness, this is the Son of Man. Because only minister, angels only minister to God and to the Son of Man. Mark is using all of those key words that I just went through as an example to say, hey, guys, Jesus is like these Old Testament characters, only he's better. Okay? He is the new and better Adam. He is the new and better Noah. He is the new and better Moses and Job and Daniel and David and Elijah, etc., he is better than all of them. Why? Because where they all failed the test, he passed. He passed. He never fails. Never. Not once. All of that from just those three little sentences. Because there are key words there hyperlink back to other Old Testament passages. The fourth example that I had uh, talked about is to look for the big four. Okay? The Bible is a story that repeats itself a lot. Okay? And there are themes that repeat themselves a lot. The big four that I'm talking about Number one, every story, almost every story in the Bible is going to connect back to one of these four. Number one is Genesis 1 through 3, the creation and the fall. Okay? Number two, Pastor Jim's favorite, the Exodus. Okay? Everything connects to the Exodus. And number three and number four, the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Every story in the Bible, almost every prophecy in the Bible, is going to connect back to one of these four things. Okay? And as I said, my men's Bible study will attest. Almost every week, we're going back to Genesis 3. Something is connecting us back to Genesis 3. And there's this really beautiful imagery here, right? If you think of the whole Bible like a tapestry with like these tens of thousands of strings all weaving through each other, where these stories are all interconnecting, it's like spaghetti, but only it's organized, like, like a tapestry. And those tens of thousands of threads, they paint this beautiful image that is Jesus Christ. He is the center of it all. This whole book is about him. 
But those four events that I'm talking about, those are like the frame, the, the, the edge pieces that hold the entire um, fabric together. Every other story will parallel, will intersect, will cross. They all have to touch those four events. So when you, you read your Bible, what does this mean in practical application? When you read a passage, ask yourself, okay, is there anything here that is relevant or somehow connects to Genesis or to Exodus or to the first or second coming of Christ? And chances are pretty good, yes, there is. Let me give you kind of two examples of what I'm talking about here. Um, Both of them here are in the Old Testament. This is Elijah. He's walking with Elisha. Um, And he's getting ready to be taken up in the chariot of fire, right? Um, And as he comes to the Jordan River, the same place where Joshua and Israel had entered centuries before into the promised land, now you have Elijah exiting the promised land. Okay? And Elijah, when they arrive at the river, he takes his cloak, he rolls it up, and he strikes the river. And the water parted on one side and then to the other. And so the two of them were able to cross on dry ground. Okay? Big flashy neon signs here. This is the Red Sea. This is like the Red Sea. Um, or like I said, Joshua coming in when the same river parted for them. All right? The, the, the author here of Second Kings wants you to think this event with Elijah, he's mirroring the Red Sea event, the Exodus event. I'll give you another example. Um, this is the story of David and Bathsheba. Like, when was the last time like, you actually read it? But not just read it, but like, studied it carefully. Right? David arose from his bed. He walked out onto the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful to behold. And David sent his messengers, and he took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Do you, do you see the key words? I made them both make it a little easier. He saw her. She was beautiful to behold, and he took her. This is Genesis 3. Eve saw the fruit. She saw that it was beautiful and pleasing to the eyes. And she reached out and she took it. Only now, in this version of the story, the woman is not taking the forbidden fruit. The woman is the forbidden fruit. And David is playing the role of Adam and Eve. And he reaches out and he takes what doesn't belong to him what God told him not to take. See Ten Commandments for more information. And tragedy ensues. There will be a price to his sin. His son that is made with Bathsheba is going to die. Um, There will be many sins and consequences to what Adam and Eve did, and there were many sins and consequences that came with what um, David did. In the very next chapter of Genesis, what do you have? You have Cain and Abel killing each other. Brother killing brother. A few chapters after this story, what do you have in, in David's life? You have Absalom killing his brother. 
You have brother killing brother. You have the same story repeating itself. Through the sins of David, the sins of Adam and Eve, the next big event is a brother murdering a brother. The Bible repeats itself. If you know, you heard the expression, right? I don't, um, uh, I don't know if history repeats itself, but it sure does rhyme. Um, yeah, the Bible does too. Okay? Um, so, summarizing these four things up again one more time. Pray, listen. Don't just talk to God. Listen to Him. Okay? Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. Ask for discernment. Number two, use your resources, whether they be physical books or, or online websites or things on your phone. God has put you alive in a time when you have more information available to you in your fingerprint and your hand than any other group of humans who have ever lived in human history. Why not use it for something good instead of for something bad? The third one, again, unusual or weird is important. Okay? If there's a word or a phrase that, that looks different or, or it just kind of stands out to you in the text, if you're just not uh, super familiar with all of your Bible passages, Use those websites we talked about. Go back, Google it, check it out. If it's weird, it's important. Look for those repetitive phrases, okay? Where are those uses? What, what is the author of this book trying to get me to think about, right? Um, a great analogy is like a, a bunch of aspen trees, okay? Um, for those of you who know, who know how aspen trees work, all of their roots are interconnected, Okay? The trees, are not, the, the trees aren't isolated from each other. All the roots of the trees on aspen trees, they all interconnect. If you have a hundred trees, they all have roots that connect to each other. They're all connected together. The Bible is no different. So, start looking for those connections. It will enrich your Bible study so much, so much. And lastly, again, look for the big four. How is maybe Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in this passage. Is there anything that's kind of exodus-y about this passage? Or is this passage some, connecting somehow to Jesus' first coming or when he comes again? These are just four things that I have learned. No one taught, no human taught them to me. I just kind of learned as I went along. Um, if you have something that you do in your quiet time that works for you, great. That's awesome. If, if you and your Bible study time are having, you know, no problems whatsoever, great. But if you're, if you're like me and you, you, you struggled for a long time to not just have this make sense, but realize that you were missing something, that you needed something more, these are some of the things that I do. I do this every week when I prepare for men's Bible study. Um, these, these aren't, you know, I'm not just saying this. I do this. And I just kind of wanted to pass that on to you guys. And if it can benefit you and help edify you in, in your quiet time with God, well then praise, praise be to God. Um, next one. Two of my uh, favorite men in the 19th and 18th centuries, 
they have these two great quotes, which I kind of wanted to end on. One is Leonard Ravenhill. He says, No man is greater than his prayer life. And you are as spiritual as you want to be. If you want to be a better Christian, you, like you see your neighbor or whatever, think, oh man, he's such a great Christian. He's got, I, wish, I, wish, I wish I could be like him. How's your prayer life? No Christian is greater than their prayer life. If you have little to no prayer life, and you're wondering why your walk with God is floundering so much, that's why. You are just as spiritual as you want to be. All right? and, you know, if, if I want to jack up and get muscles, I have to go to the gym. I have to eat right. I can't do things half-heartedly. If I'm willing to make the effort you put into something, you'll get out of it. Physically, that is true, and spiritually, that is true. And then the last one, written by uh, Mr. Moody. This book, the Bible, will keep you from sin. Because it confronts you in your sin. This is why the Bible is unique. This is why the Bible has stood the test of time. Because this Bible does what no other so-called holy book out there from any of those other false religions talk about. It's all trash. This is the only thing that matters. Because this book does what they don't. This book doesn't say, oh, your problem is this or your problem is that. No, no, no. This book says the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. You are the problem. Your sin is the problem. But there's also a solution in here to yourself, to your sin. And that is, and that is Jesus Christ and what he did on the Calvary 2,000 years ago. And he paid the price of your sins. So very much indeed, this Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from reading your Bible. Because you know when you read this Bible, you're going to get convicted by something. And if you're living a life that, that is, is against God, it's going to bother you when you read this. And it should. If it doesn't bother you, then you've got other problems than reading this Bible. So, I just want to kind of end on those notes. How's your Bible study? How's your prayer life? Are you happy with where you are? Or do you want to go deeper? Do you want to have something more meaningful? Again, the most greatest teacher you can have is the Holy Spirit. The second is a human. Do it in community. Do it with your spouse. With whatever. But do it. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a world that has lost its way. And much of the church, God, has lost its voice. It's lost its voice, God, because it no longer listens to you. This book, Lord, contains your words. Lord, this Bible is everything. It is God-breathed. There is no in-between, Jesus. Lord, I, just, I would pray for the people here, Lord, and the people who are listening, God, that speak to their hearts, Jesus. Make them uncomfortable with where they are in their Bible study, Lord. Take them to go deeper in their personal studies, Lord. May, Lord, we just spend so much time with you, Jesus.
quality of time, that, that the things of this world, that they just fall away because they don't matter, Lord. Lord, the only thing that matters when all is said and done, Lord, when we stand before you, Jesus, is what you have to say. What other humans, Lord, have said about us doesn't matter, Jesus. And Lord, I would, I would just pray that in this church, Lord, there would be no, no famine, Lord God, for your word. There would be no dehydration for your word, Lord. I would pray that this church, Lord, would seek your face fully, God. And that you would reveal to us, Lord, your will through your word, through your spirit, Jesus. Lord, we need you. God Almighty, do we need you. This world just is spinning down the drain, God, and it has no, no anchor, nothing to hold it steady, God. But your word is truth, Lord. It is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Speak to us, Jesus, please. But your will be done. Amen.